I am Kirsten Moorfield, COO and co-founder here at Cloverleaf. We have an automated team coaching tool that reveals insights about you and the people that you work with because we fundamentally believe no one should dread coming to work. Welcome to our very first episode of our new podcast, People Are Complicated. In this podcast, we dive into the human perceptions, instincts, emotions, and relationships, and all those things that cause tension at work. Because we believe that with deeper understanding, these topics can lead us to stronger, more impactful work that we are all proud of. We have so much to talk about because, well, people are complicated. This episode is part one of a two-part series where I sit down with Cloverleaf's Chief Research Officer, Dr. Scott Dust, to talk about the 11 common differences in the workplace. Welcome to our first ever podcast recording. We're here. Live at the Cloverleaf studio. That's right. In Covington, Kentucky. Uh, We are so excited to record a podcast, and we get to see a lot of people at work. You get to study it from an academic perspective. I get to study it from a user perspective of a technology. That's right. And we've seen a lot of differences that people have in their personality, their behaviors, and it causes either a lot of frustration and tension and conflict and coming home frustrated, or Mm -hmm. it can lead to people doing really awesome stuff together and, and, and appreciating the differences. Yeah. So many different variables to evaluate, so many different angles to take. I think everybody has their own story. Everyone has an experience, and these experiences, they know it when it goes really well, and they can tell when they could have done something differently. So maybe having these conversations in advance can help people think about it live in ways that are going to help them on a day-to-day basis. That would be huge. Yeah, so would you say our goal is to, like help people think through what are some of the common differences so they'll yeah. they'll be able to pick up on them when it's happening live in a conversation. That's right. That self-awareness, I think, is the first step for any type of behavior change. And a lot of what happens is unconscious, and it happens yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't at least have some type of schema for figuring out what to do in the moment, it's just going to pass you by. Yeah. And then you're going to be sitting at night being like, man, that conversation could have gone better if only I had done X, Y, and Z. Dr. Dust, what is one of the most common differences you've seen in people? I mean, I think my favorite one to start with is introversion, extroversion. Got it. Because everyone knows what it is, for one. Yep. Um, At least they think they know what it is. So... Introversion, extroversion, I think most people think of it as social ability, where introversion being, you know, you like to be on your own, doing your own thing, where extroversion, you like to be out and talking with more people, and and that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think if you peel back the layers, another angle in terms of understanding it is the fact that we all process information differently. Mm -hmm. And so in a workplace, you know, it's more than just your willingness to talk with other people. Mm -hmm. It's also about how you like to understand and solve problems Mm -hmm. where introverts they're doing everything inside the brain Uh and they're going through all this information and they like to do some slow thinking Mm -hmm. where extroverts think out loud and in the moment and Mm -hmm. if you plug that into what's the typical workplace look like Mm -hmm. you know a lot of stuff happens in the moment Mm -hmm. and if you're not exactly you know participating in the moment then it looks like either you don't care or that you're not capable 
And that's a problem. Okay, can I tell a really good story on this? Please do. This just happened last week with Darren. So Darren's co-founder of Cloverleaf with me. And we were in a leadership team meeting, and we were talking through our OKRs. And it's like, it's December, so it's an interesting time of year to talk about OKRs, which is how we set goals for the year and for quarters. And we were talking about Q1 OKRs, but we're mid-December, like racing to the end of 2021's OKRs and we're like we're hitting them and it's exciting and some people are just really heads down and then I'm trying to say like also January is coming so let's be ready for that right sure and um in the meeting I was trying to say like hey what support do people need because I know we're all kind of like busy with finishing out this year but we also we're the leaders we need to be prepared for where we're taking our people come January 1 and I could just tell it wasn't getting communicated right. Like people yeah. are getting a little defensive and like, I don't have time for this, you know. And so I just sat down to like think. I just like stopped talking and I was just thinking. Yeah. And two days later, Darren and I are in our one-on-one and he was like talking about that moment. And he said, Kirsten, and then you went silent with this look of disapproval on your face. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. no, <laughs> it wasn't I disapproval. Yeah. I was thinking because I'm an introvert and it doesn't come out like it takes like mental processing for the words to get formed in my brain Mm -hmm. to come out of my mouth whereas Darren's an extrovert it just you ask him any question he's got the answer right away right right? off the cuff and so I think that's such a classic example of like yeah it came off as a silent look of disapproval right Right. It was just you doing your deep thinking internally yeah. rather than externally. Yeah. Which is better because if I had just kept talking, it w- yeah. I would have dug the hole deeper, right? Right. right. And that's where the, the self-awareness and other awareness is helpful because to the degree that you can be self-aware that that's how you typically operate, mm-hmm. then you can have this conversation with others to help them be more other aware. So, for yeah. example, when I engage in meetings with colleagues if I'm starting to realize that, hey, I'm probably going to be working with these people for a decent amount of time, mm-hmm. I typically say, hey, during these sessions, don't be offended when I probably don't say much during the meetings because I am introverted. I'm definitely more in that introvert, ambivert range. Mm-hmm. And I will tell them where you'll see the most input from me is after the meeting. I will be the first one who will summarize everything that happened and make sure that everybody's on the same page with some written documentation mm-hmm. that's here's the plan, mm-hmm. as opposed to in the moment. Now, I still do it in the moment, but at the same time, I'm expressing, here's how I typically do things. Mm-hmm. Just, a, just a level set so that everybody knows what to expect. Yep. You can tell when people are <laughs> extroverted, but it's a little bit harder to tell when people are introverted, I think. Why do you think that is? Because extroverted, it's just so visible, right? Yeah. It's happening right now, and you hear it and you see it, yeah. where when it's introverted, it could it could be more along the lines of, I just don't want to participate in this, or I don't think this is a good conversation. And my silence means that I disapprove. I just have a silent yeah. look of disapproval. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Okay, so do we have helpful tips, takeaways for people who might be trying to figure out how to apply this to their workplace and seeing those differences and how to leverage them? Yeah, we should pick that apart because I think part of it is, number one, becoming aware of it. Number two, communicating that to others, but also with that, understanding what to do with it. So. I think when there's information processing in a team setting or in a dyadic setting, to be able to... Okay, what does dyadic mean? Sorry, it's a very (laughs) academic word. Dyadic would be one-on-one. Okay, So this is a dyadic podcast Thank you, Professor Dust. Where you have, if it's a team, you know, it could be, technically a team is two or more, but dyadic relationships is the vast majority of our communication. Mm -hmm. It's something happening between two people. 
and that dyadic communication could be in the presence of more people, mm -hmm. or you could have you know all sorts of communication happening within a team setting, right? So a lot of times when people are thinking about how do teams operate, it's a group of people sitting together in a meeting, you know, face to face or on a virtual meeting, and how does the interaction go down? And so some of the takeaways I think can be recognizing that we need to withhold judgment, and if people aren't participating, it might actually be because we need to be the ones to prompt them because they don't feel comfortable speaking up or voicing mm -hmm. whatever it is going on inside their head in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so like a great example is at the end of a meeting, if there's specific people that haven't said anything yet, ask them, hey, mm. Kirsten, you haven't said anything yet. I know you're probably just processing everything going on. Mm. You know, what, what do you think about all As this, opposed right? to leaving the room thinking, man, Kirsten did not care. She was not yeah. engaged. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And also, if you know that about somebody, and, and others might not know that, or maybe need a reminder in a prime, saying that reminds everybody that this is a safe conversation, and that's actually okay. Mm. And so, for one, I'm signaling, hey, Kirsten's an introvert, everybody. This is how she processes. But then it's also reminding everybody and giving them a sense of psychological safety that, oh, it's okay to process internally. I shouldn't feel obligated to speak up if mm -hmm. I don't have anything that mm -hmm. I think is like really impactful or important to say. Mm -hmm. And that's an important difference because a lot of times extroverts think out loud and they mm -hmm. think uh, through things in the moment, in the presence of others, and they like that quick interaction and all the feedback they get instantaneously. Mm -hmm. Where introverts, they want it to be completely clear on what exactly they're going to say. And there needs to be a purpose behind mm. why they're saying it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, not all the time, but in general, that seems to be the case. And also an important caveat, not every it's not a dichotomous variable, introvert versus extrovert. Mm -hmm. It's... It's continuous, meaning you could fall anywhere in that range. And so some people would... Uh, it's a spectrum. It's a For, spectrum. In layman's terms, outside yeah. of academic terms, it's yeah. a spectrum. Yes. Yeah. Bring in that, yes. Continuum is, again, academic. Yeah. But this spectrum, you know, a lot of people are ambiverts. Yeah. Meaning they kind of fall somewhere in the middle, right? So mm -hmm. if you've taken the 16 types and sometimes you're an E, sometimes you're an I, or maybe you're only a 60% or a 40% one or the mm -hmm. other, you know, it means you're not too far along one way or the other. So you're, you're exhibiting tendencies of both. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that as well, because at sometimes your introverted self shows up and at other times your extroverted self might show up. Yep. Right. So like in a meeting where you're super comfortable with the people that you're with, mm -hmm. maybe you show up more so as that, you know, ambivert to extrovert, mm -hmm. but with new people or new situations, maybe you don't. That's oh, important yeah. too. Way more sit back and observant. Yes. You know, another thing I actually want to point out on this. So, so you did, you know, a helpful tip on like, how do you try to leverage this in your teams and yeah. in groups? I also feel like it's important to do some introspection and figure out where you fit because I we we live in an extroverted world. Successful people are gregarious and they always have the right answer and they're fast on their feet, right? Yeah. Which being more introverted naturally, I I specifically remember in my like middle school and teen years when I learned that's not okay yeah. and it's time to be an extrovert if you're going to be a anybody you know That's right. <laughs> and so for me like it came with a lot of like sh like you should do this shoulding as I say I should yeah. it all over myself yeah. and and <laughs> didn't actually realize what it is is introversion extroversion I didn't have that language right. and um, and so I think it's important for people to know the difference yes so you can read the room better but also so that you can have permission to be yourself and understand like right. when I'm in back-to-back -back meetings all day I jello I my brain just turns to jello and mush. Sure. By the yep. end of the day, I'm right. really not productive. But yeah. if I can break it up with time where 
it's okay for me to sit alone. Like, mm-hmm. so for example, here at the office, where sometimes we're at the office, when I come into the office, um, everyone's desks like face each other where yeah. I work, except right. for mine faces <laughs> the wall. <laughs> and I was like, y'all like don't feel rejection. Yeah. yeah, well, no, it's, it's good yeah. to me because it, it allows me to like, have less stimulation. I'm not yeah, wa- right. walking, watching people That's walk by. And, really important. Um, and so I think it's just really important for people to know that about themselves and also to be able to communicate. I'm not rejecting you by facing the wall. Right. I love you and I love interacting yeah, with you right. and I need to focus, right? And everyone's That's, great with that. When you know yeah. it about yourself, you can put words to it and then you can schedule your day and orient your desk around what, yeah. what works best for you. And that's an important part because the energy is what you're speaking to, right? Your right. mind turns to jello after you've been engaged in all of these interactions face, you know, back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with energy, right? So introverts, it's an energy drain when we gain in all these interactions, mm-hmm. but for extroverts, it's an energy boost. And so it does have a lot to do with our sensory processing and whether or not that deflates or, or inflates our, our, our energy. And to know that is important too, right? So if you're in, in engagements with extroverts and you're the introvert, mm-hmm. recognize that that's energizing for them and do mm-hmm. your best to participate in it because that is signaling that you're being a good colleague for them. Mm-hmm. And then the same vice versa, right? Like when you have those that are just clearly overstimulated, they've been doing too much, give them the space mm-hmm. to do it. And I really love the comment about making sure you're in the right environment. And I do think that we're we live in an extroverted world in that as we moved to the service economy, the knowledge economy, and information economy, like more and more we're being forced to engage in knowledge sharing with others. And mm. that's communicative. And there's mm. lots of interaction that happens to do that. And so it's become harder in, in I think, many academics' perspectives to be an introvert within the workplace. Yeah. And so to tell a personal story, when I first graduated, I essentially was doing sales. And I was traveling nine months straight i went from indianapolis got on the plane monday morning flew into maryland and was in maryland all the way until friday afternoon and then flew back and i'd have the weekend at home to decompress and i do it over and over and over for nine months i was miserable Mm -hmm. i didn't have a language for it right i was in a very extroverted job i was on the phone all the time Mm I was doing face-to-face impromptu meetings with people I didn't know. And did you think like, man, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Why am I not doing a good job at this? And at the time, all of my mentors, all the people I looked up to, Mm -hmm. the media was all putting on a pedestal those that were charismatic and capable of engaging in that type of behavior. That's, by the way, still the time we're in. It is. (laughs) It's still what's exalted. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And and there is an important attribute to that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I have lots of friends in sales, and they're very successful at it, and it really aligns with who they are. They love it. They get energy out of it. Mm -hmm. But for me, I came home after about nine months of of doing this without ever questioning it and just broke down. Like, I literally Mm -hmm. remember crying on the couch to Mm -hmm. a family member, Mm -hmm. and it was in that moment where I was like, I got to find something that is more aligned with my internal constitution because this just isn't working. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially when I made the change to get an MBA and eventually a PhD to say, I need to do deep work mm-hmm. way more often. Right? Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't ignore it completely. It's important to still engage in all of this activity with others and in the moment. But you can make decisions with how you work and where you work mm-hmm. to make sure that you're getting more of what you need for your personality. So you and I both have the experience of denying our introversion and suffering from it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. 
Right. And it makes it sound bad, but like, and it's not a bad thing, right? It's like, not. It is who you are. It's a superpower if you recognize yeah. it and leverage it. Yes. Because I also argue that, you know, a lot of times introverts, because they enjoy processing internally and they enjoy deep thinking, if you look across history, and there's some great books out there that go through this, like Quiet by Susan Cain's a great one. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the scientists and the researchers who have come up with big things are those that are capable and, and interested in that mm-hmm. type of environment mm-hmm. that they can, you know, really do some deep thinking for so, long periods of time. There's yeah. another one that I think is similar but different to this, which is people who are more analytical versus people who are more action-oriented. Yeah. So, like... I'm actually, while I'm introverted, I am action-oriented. Right. And so I'm more prone to be, like, in the meeting. All right, so what's the decision? 30 seconds to make the decision. Here we go. Off to the races. Let's see right, how right. what happens. Whereas other folks might say, wow, she just steamrolled right now <laughs> and did yeah. not give us a chance to really get right. the data and analyze and see different perspectives. Sure. And, like, I think we should wait another month to mm-hmm. figure out, like, you know, grow the metrics and see more what 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 might be the domino effect of this decision, right? right. Mm-hmm. And I think that one often can turn into, oh, she steamrolled or, like, oh, my gosh, that person is disengaged that, yeah. or, or they're just a... a you can look at someone who's analytical and think that person is a challenger. Mm-hmm. That person is never satisfied. Yeah. That person is always poking holes and finding the problems. Right. And yes, they are doing that, but that's actually helpful because yeah. if you make my 30 second decision and that's how we run a, a business or yeah. it, go start a new project or whatever it is, that can um, miss a lot of really important edge cases or mm-hmm. or or holes in the plan, yeah. plot holes, if you will, right. and and cause cause more work and, and more inefficiency later. Sure. And so I've seen that be actually one of the biggest tension points um, <laughs> when it comes to teams working together. You can have multiple people that are on this spectrum of what I would call maybe risk orientation. Uh-huh. And for those that are very high in, in this analytical tendency, mm-hmm. they want all the information before they make a decision. They want complete information, right? Like no holes in it. It's mm-hmm. perfect. We mm-hmm. know exactly where it came from. We know exactly what it means, which we all know is impossible, mm-hmm. right? Like you never know everything about all the information you're being given. Mm-hmm. And they want to be the ones themselves that cultivated it or understand it because sometimes people bring information to you. And sometimes we don't necessarily trust it because we weren't the ones that found it and really understand mm. its origins and sources. So all of that together is related to how we engage with the information and how comfortable we are with it. Mm -hmm. So those that are heavy on analytical are are somewhat low in risk orientation. And then those that are um, more willing to have this higher risk propensity would say, hey, this is as good as we're going to get, and Mm -hmm. we have to make forward progress here. Mm -hmm. we got to get something done, right? Mm -hmm. That meeting... You know, your inbox, as we looked at right before this (laughs) podcast, is overflowing with messages that may never actually get addressed. Sorry for anyone who emails me. Right. And and I'm over here with inbox zero, and I just have a very different work stream, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you're being bombarded by people, and I'm not. And so I think that a lot of times some of those conflicts happen because Mm -hmm. you have a very different strategic goal within your day-to-day tasks than some other people might, right? Absolutely. You've got to push through and make it happen and make forward progress because of the situation. Mm -hmm. And it creates these conflicts. And so 
is it good or bad to be low or high on analytical slash risk orientation? Just depends. Mm -hmm. Again, it's a continuum. Yeah, it's a spectrum, and you can you can fall on different sides and you can flex. But we all have yeah. our tendency of where we where we where our gut where takes think? us. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Fun academic study that hits this topic. Mm -hmm. So most people in the research would assume that the more risk-oriented you are, the more innovative you'll be. Mm -hmm. Because you're willing to take information mm -hmm. and come up with new, big, interesting ideas and you go for it. Mm -hmm. And what we found in the research was that yes, there is a correlation, there's a relationship between being risk-oriented and being innovative, but it's actually relatively small. Mm -hmm. And what we found was that when you had a leader and a employee that are working together, the employee is more likely to be innovative in their day-to-day -day decisions and tasks and ideas that they come up with if that leader and the employee are different on risk orientation. Oh, so it doesn't matter which one is which, it just doesn't matters matter. that they're different. That's right. Wow, that's interesting. And the, and the theory behind it is that if you really want to be innovative, yeah. the precursor to that is what's called intellectual stimulation. Mm -hmm. right? You're thinking about things differently than what you have before. Mm -hmm. So if you're the, the, the leader that mm -hmm. is high on risk orientation, you are more than happy to push forward and charge through regardless of having everything that you need. Mm -hmm. You're forcing me to think differently if I'm low on risk orientation. I'm mm -hmm. thinking about all the things that could go wrong and I'm thinking about mm -hmm. the problems, but you're forcing me to kind of think about it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And together, it allows us to engage in intellectual, for me to have more intellectual stimulation, which then allows me to be more innovative. Right. And then the opposite can happen as well. Right, so I'm I'm in the opposite seat with so it doesn't matter mm -hmm. which side it is as long as those differences There's actually different. help each other. That makes me think of you know we talk a lot about cognitive diversity, another academic sounding term, yeah, but it just sure. means people who think differently yeah, working together, diversity. having thought diversity. That sounds sure. more approachable than cognitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, like I and and I've actually that's interesting that you know a study that shows that specifically for risk orientation, but mm -hmm. it's definitely what we observe across all the spectrums of introversion, sure. extroversion, or analytical um, um, action-driven, mm -hmm. you know, all, all of the differences. It's really about yeah. do you have diversity here and how people look at situations, and, and do you have the psychological safety or mm -hmm. the, 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 the like emotional uh, space where people right. can express those differences, and it's safe. They're yes. not seen as like, gosh, that it's a big part of it. Low risk person who's asking all the questions, like, yeah. man, they just can't loosen right. up and get with it. And you start judging their character, yeah. right? It's not so. an annoyance, it's recognized as mm -hmm. a potential benefit. And actually, mm -hmm. so this is a study I published in Personnel Psychology, and there was a similar variable. Mm -hmm. The extent to which that those differences led to the beneficial impact of innovation was dependent upon the extent to which the leader was higher in what's called authority openness. Ah. Essentially a willingness to listen and to respect the opinions of their employee. Mm -hmm. right? So it only worked if the leader was actually saying, oh, I, I appreciate this difference, mm -hmm. as opposed to having this mentality of, I want you to think just like me, which a lot of times is what I think leaders do. Gosh, I feel like that should be the opening of the podcast. It's like, hey, basically, 
when when you're open to different perspectives, <laughs> really you do it. really cool things. Yeah, yeah it really So can, have yeah. openness. And here's some right. differences to consider. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, what's the next difference? Maybe talk about efficiency versus adaptability. I think mm-hmm. that's a big one, too, mm-hmm. where we inevitably, as busy knowledge workers, want to make sure that we are moving through and getting things done. And uh, that's important because there's so much to do. Yep. And... Organizations, in a way, are built for creating efficiencies. Right? We kind yep. of divide and conquer. We have layers of management. Yep. And you have to come up with efficiencies to make sure that you're bringing in more revenue than you are dishing out in expenses. And that's an important part of business. People got to get paid. You got to get paid. It yep. has to be a system involved or it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there is more of an adaptable mentality mm-hmm. and this sense of things can happen more organically, and that tends to be more highly associated with innovation and creativity and everything else, right? Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, we need structure and we need efficiencies, Mm -hmm. but that can also, in a way, kind of squash all the things that we need to have have happen to maintain competitive advantage in the long term Mm -hmm. by being innovative and adaptive, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everybody kind of differs on what they're comfortable with, and a lot of times that can rear its ugly head when we get into these meetings of, you know, what's the best way to, to accomplish our goals. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that makes me think of so many things. It makes me think of the book um, Creativity, Inc. with Ed Catmull, who started mm-hmm. Pixar. Yeah. And how they have this analogy of the monster and the ugly baby. And, like, every idea, every potential new Pixar movie when it starts is an yeah. ugly baby. Sure. Like, it's a it's got plot holes and it's like yeah. whatever you got to mm-hmm. figure out the story still but you also have the monster of revenue like i will eat the ugly baby right <laughs> yeah. and so like right. if you don't separate those two and give yeah. space for them yeah the monster is going to eat the ugly baby every time and it's never going to grow into a beautiful successful adult right? That's right um and then i also think of like google's 80 20 but what's funny is like even with all of those you're trying it's like a business trying to create like a system and an efficiency to allow for <laughs> I know, right? It's almost, like yeah, ugly baby it 20%. That's right, right? Can you create an efficient system for creating the yeah. more inefficient organic side? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do. Have you seen that like some people lean more to one side or the other of that continuum? Yeah, absolutely. And this almost, so there's all sorts of different ways that we can evaluate what I would call individual characteristics or personal characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. People are complicated and people are complicated by a variety of different things. Their traits, Mm -hmm. like introversion, extroversion is a trait. Mm -hmm. It could be about their values, Mm -hmm. right? What do you think is important in your life? Mm -hmm. It could be about cognitive orientations. So, you know, the extent to which you prefer to multitask or not, the extent to which you're goal-oriented or not, or whatever it is. Right. And then I think this one is a little bit more of a work preference. Mm-hmm. And so maybe you could even uh, couch it as a cultural work preference. Like, mm-hmm. how do you like, what's the type of environment you like to work in? Mm-hmm. And so some people like to work in these very structured, formulaic, you know, I know what to expect. I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yep. And some people just prefer the freedom and autonomy of being able to do what they want when they want to do it in order to create something. Right. So I think of this as like a, a cultural preference, so to speak. And yes, people definitely differ on the extent to which they want to be in one or the other. Right. And I think a lot of times we end up adapting to whatever we have to do, given whatever this you know top-down structure has been given to us, or each manager of a specific team 
might have their preference, mm -hmm. and then we find ourselves trying to kind of figure out what that is mm -hmm. and adapting to that mm -hmm. because we know that's who we should be kind of looking up to for guidance. Mm -hmm. So it's tricky. I've just seen that play out in so many different ways too, and like different businesses I've been a part of or like clients that we've worked with, and I. I feel like it's also a really big um, stress trigger. Like if you're more to the like adaptable side and mm -hmm. you're in an efficiency driven yeah. role or team or company, oh, that's so stressful. Like I've noticed for me, I'm definitely more towards the flexible adaptable side. Yeah. And um, But I have to be like yeah, thinking about the bottom line, right? As COO and like, I get really stressed when we're trying to solve problems in a one-hour time block. It's like, how do you like look at this yeah. from different sides and like right. and like like consider how do you do something totally different, new that you've never done before? By the way, you have fifty minutes to figure this out. Yeah, right. <laughs> And come like the 40 minute mark, everyone starts speaking over each other because we recognize the end right. is nigh and like we got to get through this, right? Do it. right? So yeah, that's that's an interesting one. All right, what's next on the list? I like the goal orientation one. There's different ways to think about goal orientations and the most popular categorization scheme is that you can be learning oriented. So your motivation to perform is driven to some degree by your quest for new knowledge and growth and development. And that's good for you because not, not only is it intellectually stimulating and fulfilling, you know that that's going to help you acquire the knowledge, skills, and abilities that you need mm -hmm. to be competitive and to be at the top of your game. Mm -hmm. And people can be compelled for that reason. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, people are also compelled to engage in what's called a performance orientation mm -hmm. and you want to prove to others that you're the best mm -hmm. and that you can do it and mm -hmm. that you're competent. Mm -hmm. So learning orientation versus performance orientation and that performance orientation can be prove oriented. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to know that I'm good at this. Right. And then you can also be avoidance oriented. Mm -hmm. So your performance or your ability to show that you know what you're doing is is partially because you're just avoiding the really hard things and mm -hmm. you're only doing the things that you think are going to help you look good. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times when teams get together, very different performance orientations going on and okay. it creates a lot of problems. Okay. So those that are learning oriented, I have my students do this anytime they do a group project. Mm -hmm. The students that are learning oriented they tend to annoy the performance-oriented folks because they want to slow down, they ask a lot of questions, mm -hmm. they want to do extra things that mm -hmm. they know are going to help them in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want, right? I mm -hmm. want them to learn, not mm -hmm. just try to get an A. Um, but if you kind of transplant that into the real world, sometimes people think, you know what? I just got to get this done because there's a deliverable at this time and my boss is, you know, over my shoulder saying, get this done and get it done right now. I don't have time to engage in this learning orientation. That's nice. And maybe in a different thing, but not now. And so I do see a lot of people kind of having conflict for those, mm -hmm. for those reasons. I'm, a, I'm high on learning orientation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will spend extra time because I find it interesting and fulfilling, 
but that can also kind of get me into trouble sometimes because I kind of go down the rabbit hole and I didn't necessarily accomplish the goal that I meant to, you know, in that specific mm-hmm. moment. So mm-hmm. what are you? What do you think? Oh, learning, definitely. But I think our culture is not okay with that. Like the education system is very much like yeah. get the paper done, get it done on this mm-hmm. time, you know, and like I I became like performance oriented through being American, you know? Yeah. And so I actually like... I remember, I have so many memories in my life of like going down a rabbit trail of just like, you know, Googling things and learning stuff and being like, this is so interesting. I really should stop. I really need to stop. I really need to get back to, I really need to like deliver and like Mm -hmm. finish and like, Mm -hmm. okay, I just like, I guess I can't tell anyone that I just learned something really cool. And you know, it just this tension in my body. Mm -hmm. I remember I took StrengthsFinder when Mm -hmm. I was like 23 years old in my first job out of college and I was so like embarrassed by my results what? because what my results were intellection input yeah. curi- learning learner yeah. um connectedness which is a relational strength but it's really all, it's strategic it's about yeah. like how do you connect all the dots of things that's right and i oh and strategic is my other one so like it's all hmm. like thinking strengths and it was like yeah. the results are like you love to sit alone and think you have mm-hmm. in- debates inside your head you mm-hmm. love to take in new information you don't know if or when you'll ever use it but maybe it'll be helpful someday that's right and I was like you know what so I get nothing done <laughs> that's what this told me <laughs> yeah like, it's kind of cool. yeah I can't perform and so like I mm-hmm. I definitely know I tend towards the learning side but yeah. I feel so much um like requirement to be a performer right, yeah, right. and for so others and for the community that is yeah. you know that you're supporting and yeah yeah, you know, yeah that's yep great. and yeah. I, so yeah I, I think i think i think it's not okay to be a learner in our culture what do you think i think that having a learning orientation should be a given i think those that that, that do have a learning orientation in the long term will be more fulfilled mm-hmm. and will be more successful I mean, we are in the stage of economy development where we're moving farther and farther towards this extreme of knowledge worker. Mm-hmm. And the more that you can learn, the more you're raising your own capital in terms of potential competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. So individually, it is important. Mm-hmm. But when you're within a system of a team or an organization that has deadlines and OKRs and needs to have things done on certain times, you have to be careful Mm -hmm. because you still need to make sure that you're taking on projects that you're not, you don't have a high risk of failure, right? Mm -hmm. So that's having a little bit of performance orientation of a void. And you also have to make sure that you deliver and you deliver well. So performance orientation that is focused on proving that you can do it. Mm-hmm. So I think it, you got to be balanced. Mm-hmm. It's good to have the learning orientation, but it also recognizing that you just sometimes need to deliver. I love I love the language that you're putting to this because it's basically like recognize what is necessary in the moment and give yeah. yourself permission for when to, when to flex to which side of it. Yes, right? I agree. Which is such a stress reducer to say yeah. like, you know what, in this moment, I need to perform, I gotta get it done. You yeah. know what, in this moment, we have space, I need to learn so That's that right. in the long run, right. we can be successful still. So like, right. I'm gonna take the time to not check my email mm-hmm. and read a bunch of articles about product-led growth strategies, right? right. Like, and just yeah. take in what I take in. Yeah. There's no output right now, and right. that's okay. Like, right. This is a moment where that's okay. And I think organizations need to get better at helping employees make that balance and make mm. that decision. Employees are more likely going to stick around for the long haul when you're encouraging them 
to do the things that they find fulfilling, mm -hmm. they find interesting, mm -hmm. and that are helping them grow, learn, and develop. Right. If you're giving them the space and giving them the projects to, to flex that learning orientation, they're going to love that. Okay, so does everyone have both? I don't think that everyone is high on both, okay. but I do think that in general, everyone is relatively moderate on almost all three, mm -hmm. and then they tend to be high on one or two additional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, well, I have this group project that I've done with students for years, and they always have to show up and take this goal orientation assessment, mm -hmm. as well as a variety of other assessments. Mm -hmm. And they have to then put in their individual scores, and then they have to plug in all the individual scores within a spreadsheet so that everybody in their team can see it. And then it creates this conversation of, oh, this is why you are so focused on picking a topic mm -hmm. that is easy but not exactly all that interesting, low mm -hmm. risk, versus this person who wants to go all in with this massive idea that's mm -hmm. high risk, high return, it's gonna take more time. You know, and, and it's a great microcosm because everybody's got multiple classes, mm -hmm. everybody has multiple objectives, mm -hmm. and so how do we decide what the right thing to do is given everybody's mix. Mm -hmm. And, th and th these are the unspoken things that we show up and we're not talking about them, but in the back of our heads, we should we should at least be acknowledging them mm -hmm. to then have a more thoughtful conversation. Yeah, because we're not thinking in the back of our heads, well, I'm just more risk-oriented and you're not. Right. Like, you're thinking yeah. like, gosh, you're lazy. That's right. Why don't you want to take on a challenge? Go. Yes. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm so glad you said that too, because this was another thing I wanted to bring up. One of the biggest challenges with evaluating people mm -hmm. is that we have what's called fundamental attribution error. So when, when someone does something wrong, mm -hmm. right? they just didn't do a good job on something, mm -hmm. we have a tendency to attribute the reason they did it wrong to them personally. Yep. When we do something wrong... There's a reason. There's a reason. <laughs> the world was just out to get me, right? Like, it's never my fault. So, yeah. you know, that, that whole system of attribution mm -hmm. is par for the course one of the biggest problems with working with others. Yeah. And that recognizing that we're all unique and that we all have stuff going on and it might more more often than not it's both right mm -hmm. it's the person and the situation came together that led to the outcome right and and it's just complicated but for the most part we just say that person is lazy that person is annoying that person can't figure this out and you mm -hmm. know that's not healthy we reflect on these episodes and a lot of times we do recognize that we mm -hmm. could have done it differently yeah and hopefully it turns into a productive self-reflection mm -hmm. instead of, I wish I had done this, I wish I had done that, mm -hmm. and said, okay, well, next time, this is the way I'm gonna behave. Mm -hmm. Because I think you can turn rumination into something that is more mindful. Great point about ruminating. I actually, I, it turns out I do ruminate. I was ruminating on a situation about another one on our list, which is uh, values-driven versus logic-driven. And this is more okay. about how you make decisions. Okay. So um, values-driven is I am concerned about how this will make people feel. Okay. I have yeah. a strong internal value system of whatever it is. That drives how you make your decisions, right? Whereas on the other side is logic. Well, one plus one is two every single time, always. The policy is this, sure. and so this is how we're going to choose and make our decision. Yes. And you can't flex a policy. Otherwise, why have a policy? There you, you go. Know? Well, because my values tell me that, like, right. 
in this one situation, there should be like a, you know, an exception. Yeah. No, we don't make exceptions because that's not logical, right? right. And so um, both are good and necessary. Mm-hmm. I am in a situation personally where I have to make a decision that is going to affect somebody. I'm values driven. Yeah. I get stuck Mm -hmm. when someone else is going to be affected and there's Mm -hmm. no good answer for this person and Mm -hmm. I'm the one with the power, right? And I'm like, oh man, what do I do here? And I was processing it with a logic-driven person, not in the moment thinking this person is logical, but I was just, you know, I was like processing and he was like, well, you know, one plus one equals two, A plus B is C. And he just was giving me all these really logical formulas of like what might happen with this person. And I was so exhausted and I was like I'm ready to exit the situation and so I'm talking to my husband about this and I'm like gosh we're about to record a podcast on the goodness of differences and here I am like I am done talking about this situation (laughs) right and so I feel like you know and then Cody my husband is like Kirsten that's the perfect example there's no quick easy fix these situations these differences we have always get us even Mm -hmm. me who lives and breathes this whole world of the importance of cognitive diversity and psychological safety i get exhausted by like key differences because it's still testing of like it's a mental exercise it's an emotional exercise Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day i still have to make a decision right right and i still feel stuck because i care so much about the effect of it right yeah so I feel, I, I've seen that one a lot, obviously in my own personal life, because it's such a strong one for me, but I also see it play out in the workplace a lot, where, you know, like, you know, if you think of like 16 types, like ENTJs, like, oh, they're yep. very logical, and they're they're the leader, and they just say, like, yep. this is the way it is, and then you can, to have people feel carnage, like, there's carnage created from, like, a super logical decision made, yeah. and then it leads to, like, a bunch of people quitting a job, right? Like, you, I feel like that's, yeah. like, media headlines, like, totally. CEO said this terrible thing, 20% of the workforce quits because, you know, whatever, like backlash that comes from those things. So it's like, I feel like I'm painting logic-driven people in a negative light. You actually really need logic people. My co-founder is. And so I will get stuck on a decision Mm -hmm. and Darren will say, Kirsten, it's just like this. And I'll say, thank you so much for that clarity. You're right. Right. I'm super uncomfortable with that. And I actually really <laughs> don't like that that's the truth. But it is. But it is. And so right. here we go, you know? Right. Um, so that, that's a big one I experience. Yeah. I feel, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you and Darren are that way. Because I, I can see that oh, yeah. when I see the two of you interact. Mm-hmm. And I do think that you have to have a level of trust oh, between yeah. the two of you oh, yeah. to let those conversations happen. Because what you're speaking to is a really, really big difference. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when it is a value-driven decision versus you know, applying a lot of logic, it's probably something really important. Like the implications are huge. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to, to, to sit with that discomfort where you just want to exit the conversation. And I'm exhausted And you're exhausted. Yeah. And, and to know that you can't check out you know, shows strength, and that's mm-hmm. good. But it also speaks to the partnership and knowing that I, I am going to hear you out and, and listen to you on, on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. So Darren will listen to your value-driven, yep. higher-order, more yep. abstract rationale. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you're willing to listen to that logic and appreciative of that logic, especially when it helps reconcile these conflicting values that you might have yep. based upon a decision. Yep. And, you know, there's, it's, again, neither approach is bad. No. But if you can sit with the discomfort and build that rapport and that trust between both parties, 
you can make the most of it. Yeah. And again, like if you can also recognize which one you you are and when you go too far in it Mm -hmm. and then when you need to pull someone else in. Right. So like I I can get stuck and I know I sometimes just need to talk to Darren about it. So I just add it to our one on one list of of a topic to cover when we meet. And we should have that for almost every working relationship we have. Yeah. Like for every time where I'm stuck because of this trade or behavioral tendency or whatever, this is how I can get unstuck. Right. Or at least get a different opinion or a different yep. perspective to help me move closer to doing whatever I think is real. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't make it easy. Oh, no. No, because because but, also what I'm saying here is you have to go with somebody who you know will think differently and probably force right. you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone, right? Yes. It's, you don't think that way naturally. That's right. Most likely you'll disagree. Probably. But it gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it'll help. All right, what's next on the list? Agreeableness versus disagreeableness. Okay, so with this one, it sounds like there's a clear right and wrong answer. But there's not. Oh, tell us how. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that there's like this negative connotation to some of the wording within some of the most popular personality traits that are out there. Mm -hmm. Because they shouldn't be that way. So, for example, agreeableness, disagreeableness is the extent to which you want harmony right on the agreeableness side like you really are seeking harmony you want people to get along you want them to engage with each other in a way that everybody walks away happy versus disagreeable meaning your willingness to disagree with people Mm -hmm. and have that constructive conversation on whether or not you think there's other alternatives Mm-hmm. And so, so it doesn't mean like problem starter. No, right. <laughs> Conflict instigator. Right. Well, what's yeah. interesting is that both of them actually can be bad. Yeah. Right. So disagreeableness, that can be bad if they're coming at the conversation with this sense of I'm right, everybody else is wrong, the problem starter, and they're just being obnoxious about it. But there is a really important construct in organizational behavior. This this philosophy and this framework called constructive controversy, which is really about you're engaging in this sense of different ideas and different perspectives for the purpose of helping everybody, Mm -hmm. not because you just want to be the naysayer or Mm -hmm. the annoying devil's advocate because you want to hear yourself talk. Mm -hmm. You're engaging in that behavior because you want to help. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to tease that out, but if the if the rationale behind it is, is genuine, then it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But also, agreeableness can be really bad in organizational settings. Okay. Harmony sounds nice, mm-hmm. but if everyone's, it's groupthink, just waiting mm-hmm. to happen, right? So if everybody's agreeable and doesn't want anybody to necessarily feel slighted and their idea wasn't taken you know, the right way, then that's bad too. Mm-hmm. Um, so at its face, we think agreeable is good, disagreeable is bad. But it actually depends upon what we're trying to do with it. It's going to mm-hmm. determine whether or not it's productive or unproductive. Okay, I've, I've, uh, this makes me think of an interesting story. So I used to work at a marketing video production company, right? Mm-hmm. And so our job was to make a bunch of great videos yeah. for clients. And so clients always have feedback. Right. Yeah. And oh, yes. feedback when you're working in the creative world is tough. It's like, yeah. um, can you make it pop more? Well, what does that mean to what you? Because I think it feels poppy already, right. you know? Yeah. And then, you know, the creative director and the illustrator and the animator like disagree on what that means. And, you know, like there was this healthy disagreeableness that happened where we would, one, you know, with the client and trying to like 
have a good relationship there, but two, yeah. like internally of like, well, mm-hmm. I, I think we should do this with the feedback. I think we should do that with the feedback, right? Right, right? And it was this beautiful, great situation where we really respected the differences that people had. So in sure. that sense, mm-hmm. people had like a healthy appreciation of disagreeableness and, and yeah. always shared their divergent opinions, right? That's right. But at the same time, everyone felt overworked and underpaid. Mm-hmm. And I was fine going to leadership and saying that. Yeah. And then one time my boss just asked everyone then and yeah. was like, hey guys, out of like zero to a hundred percent, hundred percent is like I'm max capacity. Like where yeah. are you on capacity? Yeah. And a bunch of people answered 80%. Whoa. And I was like, y'all need to speak up for yourself. Yeah, why did you say this earlier? Yeah. <laughs> and I think it, it, yeah. it was, it, it was an unhealthy level of agreeableness, right? Yes, and so that's, right. that's an interesting example because like obviously authority comes into play there mm-hmm. and obviously like job security and your thought process on all of that. Sure. But um, I, I saw some people who could be like really healthy, disagreeable in one situation, be yeah. really unhealthy, agreeable in another situation and just Absolutely. flex on that spectrum. Yeah. And I think usually you see a lot of the other where it's, <laughs> you get a group of relatively agreeable folks in a group, right? Like they're not afraid to speak up here and there and Mm -hmm. they're not afraid to put their opinion out here and there and then you have one person that's the outlier that Mm -hmm. just comes across as a disagreeable person Uh and that's just the way they think it's Mm -hmm. the way they operate Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's attached to that very logic oriented mindset of you know let's flesh out every single option before we move forward and is always willing to kind of have that engineering mind and pick everything Mm -hmm. apart that is so, so important, mm-hmm. but how you present that information mm-hmm. is almost even more important. Okay, so if you're the yeah. disagreeable person, what do you, what is a productive way to present that information? Yeah, I think it's really, for one, I mean, our tone matters, our nonverbals matter. Mm-hmm. The, the framing of, hey, I'm getting ready to bring up this point and people might not, might not agree, but I'm doing it for the betterment and betterment of the group. Like, you can preface whatever you're gonna say mm-hmm with the mindset of, I'm just pushing on this a little bit to make sure there's no bias going on. I, You know, I've also seen it be really helpful um, when people preface with, I like this idea. Like just right. a simple phrase of like, oh, you're headed in a good direction. Yeah. Let's also consider. Like That's just right. a tiny like half sentence compliment yeah. to just let people know you're not yeah. coming at it like, this right. is all just terrible and needs to be thrown out the window. That's right. right. Yeah. And that, that can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And just the tone that we say it can mm-hmm. go a long way as well. I think people react to those types of things. It's like it's like it opens the brain to receive it. That's more. right. right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what if you're the agreeable person? How do you treat that disagreeable person to help them like help it be a productive situation? Yeah. That's a hard one. I think, so let's just assume that the disagreeable person, you know, maybe they're not going to change their delivery and or you don't have time yeah. to do it. And mm-hmm. that's fine. I think you can be the agreeable person or what, regardless of where you are on this continuum to say, to kind of engage in what would be called like sense making. Let's make sense of this comment, right? So this is a good idea, Kirsten, who brought up this very different and antithesis of the direction we're going idea Let's give this some space and make sure that, you know, we're incorporating this information to make sure that whatever the direction we're on is is the right path. Mm -hmm. And being the one to kind of step up and say, this is a good idea to consider their opinion Mm -hmm. and put your framing of here's why everyone this is good. Mm Because it brings them back from, I think, the emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. It puts them into the mindset of the logical reaction. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times our initial, whether our mind recognizes it or not, we we initially react emotionally. Mm -hmm. 
to whatever was said and how it was said. But yep. you got to like embed it or frame it and make yep. sense of it in a way that's helpful for everybody. What I love about things like this and, and about talking about this and helping people start to recognize, you know, any of these spectrums that mm -hmm. we talk about or continuums that we talk about. Um, is that everyone has power in their own hands yeah, to change yeah. it from reactive yep. to proactive. Like mm -hmm. even if I am the calm, disagreeable person, or sorry, agreeable person in the room, and I see this disagreeable person start conflict, I'm not mm -hmm. gonna change them, mm -hmm. but I can at least start to recognize, oh, this is agreeableness, disagreeableness. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this person is bringing up important points for us to consider. Right. I sense everyone's getting frustrated. I personally feel attacked, Yes. but I'm, I'm gonna pause and say that's probably not what they intend like mm -hmm. if this person has good intentions which most people do like most most people like 99.99% .99 of the world is not like I'm just ready to make everyone day everyone else have a terrible day right, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they don't wake up thinking that so if this person has good intentions even if they're cluttered and buried under some frustration yeah. What is productive here? And so what can I do to help change the tone in the room? Like yeah. you, can, you can reframe you what can is reframe. starting to be a rising tension in the room. Right. When you feel it, you need to step up and be the person on the team. It doesn't necessarily have to be the manager or the leader. It can no, be anybody can be that's anybody. willing to step up. You know the other one? And when that person is being disagreeable mm -hmm. or engaging in it, let's say that they're doing it because they are just a spiteful human being. And mm -hmm. that happens sometimes, hopefully not and very usually much. usually that's because they're a hurt baby bird with their own. <laughs> issues and, you know. and you're not going to fix that no in, you're in not a session of a meeting you're not the best way to fix that is through humor mm. research is illustrating that you know when you do have that person mm. that is kind of infusing this negative tone mm -hmm. you can you can match it with the alternative which is the extreme of the more lighthearted and positive with some sense of humor into the conversation, whatever that might oh, be. That's a super and, power trick. And it definitely can help diffuse the situation or at least let everybody in the room recognize that this is a little intense as mm -hmm. what's going on over here. Let's lighten it up a little bit and it can, it can change the course of, of the conversation. That's all we got for you this time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of People Are Complicated. I'm your host, Kirsten Moorfield. Be sure to tune in next time for the second part of this two-part series, The 11 Common Differences in the Workplace with Dr. Scott Dust. You won't want to miss it. In the meantime, head on over to cloverleaf.me. Find out more about what Scott and I do in our day jobs and sign up for a free trial to unleash your team to do their best work. Thanks so much. See you next time.